WBNE. Hello, and welcome to episode 68, all about Fellowship of the Ring, theatrical edition part two, being the 68th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Catherine Gonzalez, founder and editor-in-chief of Shuffle Online. Welcome, Catherine. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm so excited uh, to talk about this movie. It's funny because I was actually thinking about when I responded to you and also in preparing for the podcast, I was thinking about how this is a movie that I don't normally talk too much about in terms of like a public space, just because it's so sacred to me. And even though like I have my site and everything and I'm on social media a lot, I like will never touch Lord of the Rings um, mm-hmm. unless it comes up naturally like it did with, you know, your tweet. I don't know. It's just something that holds a really special place in my heart. And this is like one of the first times I'm talking about it in this depth. I'm honored then that you would come on and, and break that, you know, like, because bu- I get wanting to keep things that you hold near and dear in a protective bubble. It's hard when especially things that might not hold up under the test of time, but still hold us that special place in your heart. You don't want anyone to come for it. So I I totally get that. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your background with Lord of the Rings and also like specifically if you remember the the first time you watched these movies? Seventh grade, uh, my reading teacher, which seventh grade for me is back in, I think, 2002. And so we were reading The Hobbit, and I didn't know anything about uh, Tolkien before that. And then I I loved it, and uh, we watched the cartoon movie of that. And then I just, like, went into, like, a rabbit hole, and I wanted to know more about, you know, everything that he had written. And I, I stumbled into Lord of the Rings. And then I think I had got the book, and then the movie had already come out, like, Fellowship. So then I watched that. And then it was nice because, like, the next one was going to be coming out and like I got to experience the next two in real time it started all it all started with the hobbit originally and then went into fellowship and then I just got obsessed like a crazy amount like I had all the posters I had everything I would go into all you know the special like dvds of the movie and like features and yeah it was just it it all started back then so (laughs) that's awesome I also appreciate that you watched the cartoon hobbit (laughs) because because I've heard it's something that like has this very like weird infamous legacy Mm -hmm. for Lord of the Rings and I'm like really I've seen like screenshots and random snippets of it but today we are not here to talk about the cartoon Hobbit my friends my listeners that will come another time we are here to talk about the middle hour or so of Fellowship of the Ring again this is the theatrical edition future Mary Clay Mm -hmm. is going to jump in now with a summary of all of this which is probably going to be really long (laughs) What up? It's Mary Clay from the future here to give you this week's movie summary. So I kind of lied to you last week when I said that this week we would be covering through two hours and 11 minutes, I think it was, because I went back and I readjusted some things because a lot happens, as you will hear from this summary. We pick back up with Saruman's dirty fingernails looking into the Palantir as he talks with Sauron, who asks him to build an army of orcs. They immediately set to work, tearing down trees everywhere, which I'm sure won't awaken an ancient magic or entity of some kind. Gandalf is being kept prisoner in Isengard and TBH, things aren't looking great for him. 
him right now. Aragorn brings the Hobbs to Amon Sul, where they immediately screw it up. The Nazgul find them, and Frodo puts the ring on to escape them, but for whatever reason, continues to sit there and get stabbed. Lucky for him, Aragorn bursts in like a bamf and wards them off. Unlucky for Frodo, he's dying real fast. Back at Isengard, Gandalf can now talk to animals and sends a moth off with an important message, and Saruman is busy bringing orcs at a breakneck speed. It's disgusting, but bravo to the makeup department. It's not looking so great for Frodo. Enter Arwen, the representation of the male gaze, I mean an elf, who is also apparently Aragorn's girlfriend. She takes Frodo to escape the Nazgul, and they make it safely to Rivendell, where Arwen will continue to exist only for the purpose of men. Gandalf is there when Frodo wakes up, now mostly healed, and Frodo is all, where the were you, man? We had to do some serious improvisation, and it did not go well. In one of the best moments from Gandalf, he holds back about five pages worth of what happened and tells Frodo he was delayed. What an understatement. We see that he escaped Isengard on an eagle that for vague reasons can't take them to Mordor. In Rivendell, Frodo is reunited with Merry Pippin and Sam, and also Bilbo. As Sam and Frodo talk about their job being done, Elrond and Gandalf talk about how it's not done at all. With Isengard and Sauron watching the elves, the ring can't stay in Rivendell. Elrond gives more exposition, because it's been a while since we had some of that, and explains how he saw the weakness of men when Isildur failed to destroy the ring. I get it, Elrond. Men are weak. Speaking of weak men, more people arrive in Rivendell, like Boromir of Gondor, as well as Legolas the Elf and Gimli the Dwarf. Boromir has a weird stare down with Aragorn while he stabs himself with Narsil, the broken blade that cut off Sauron's finger all those years ago. Aragorn seems to have some intense feelings about this sword, but I'm sure that won't come into play just as he needs to awaken an army of the dead. Just when you're ready for things to move forward with the plot, Arwen comes in to talk about Aragorn's commitment issues with her and his destiny as king. In a move no woman would ever make, she offers to give up her immortality to be with Aragorn. I mean, her body, her choice, but that's certainly not the choice I would go with. Finally, the Council of Elrond commences in a surprisingly brief and straightforward scene that covers 30 plus pages worth of character introductions and what's this? More exposition. I'll summarize what we learn here. Boromir's an idiot. Legolas is a homie. Gimli's ready to throw hands. The ring must be destroyed in Mordor. God bless the hobbits. And my axe. They all step in to join this mission quest thing and together they are the, the Fellowship, Fellowship of the ring. ring. They set off on this mission quest thing and have lots of cute bonding moments along the way, including Merry and Pippin learning how to fight, hiding from birds that spy on them for Saruman, Boromir being tempted by the ring, a blizzard, Legolas just doing elf things, solving a riddle to get into Moria, and escaping from the Kraken. The Fellowship is left with no other choice than to go into Moria, which Gimli is stoked for until the terrible discovery that basically everyone he knows is dead. Gandalf guides them for a bit, forgets where they are for a bit, has a super powerful conversation with Frodo that isn't relevant at all today, and casually mentions that Gollum has been following them. Oh my god, this is a bad idea doing these summaries each week, but I started doing it and here we are. All right, back to the pod. All right, cool. So we pick up with Saruman and Gandalf, that plot line. Saruman is looking into the Palantir and it's like very creepy looking, very on brand for for <laughs> like this section of the story. It's funny to me because the Palantir is way bigger than I thought it would be. I guess I thought, I guess I was imagining the like prophecy orbs from Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. They're more like <laughs> the palm of your hand. The Palantir slash Sauron tells, uh, what's his name? Saruman. Those are tongue twisters. What? Yeah, I remember. I know, I know. Yeah. It's going to get you. It's going it, to, it's gotten me several <laughs> times already through the books. And it's harder this time around because Saruman is in a lot more of the movies than he was in the books. Okay. He doesn't like show up at all in the books until Two Towers. And then you only hear Gandalf talking at the Council of Elrond what happened, like past tense of like, yeah, I went to talk to Saruman. Turns out he's evil and he held me prisoner. <laughs> yeah, Sauron tells him to build up an army of orcs and they start chopping down those trees. And one of the orcs even makes a comment that, hmm, this might be foreshadowing. I don't know <laughs> about how the trees are very strong and the roots go deep. Yeah. Interesting. I guess we'll have to wait to see what comes of that. <laughs> 
And then Gandalf is trapped on the top of Isengard in the pouring rain, and it's not looking great for him right now, to say the least, so... Yeah, no. But we jump back to our more favorite part of the story, I'm assuming for most people. We're back with Aragorn and the hobbits. They arrive at Amon Sul, and <laughs> those hobbits, um, <laughs> they immediately get themselves into a pickle like they always do because Aragorn's like, okay, we're going to hang out here for the night. I'm going to go off and I don't know what Aragorn does when he leaves because he's gone for a while because he leaves when it's daytime and then it's long enough for Frodo to take a nap and the hobbits to cook a meal. And then he doesn't. It's not like he was right around the corner because when he shows up for the Nazgul, it's a little bit too late at that point. I have no clue what he's doing at this point. I guess just random ranger things. Yeah, I haven't really thought about that in a while. I wonder wonder if he's also maybe looking for Eowyn maybe or like, I don't know, like... Oh, you mean Arwen? Arwen, sorry, yeah. Because then she comes in obviously later. So I wonder if like... They're having a little rendezvous or something. (laughs) Yeah, or scoping it out, you know, like smelling stuff i don't know (laughs) yeah so frodo wakes up this is like a really comedically shot scene and i really appreciate it because frodo is asleep and he like wakes up and he like turns around as the camera pans around and you hear if you have the subtitles on too you hear mary pippin and sam they're like oh you burnt the tomatoes and they're like do you want some toast (laughs) and they turn around He turns around and they're all gathered around a fire cooking food and they're like, hey, Frodo, you want some? And he's like, you idiots. Yeah. (laughs) This isn't allowed. And he goes over and stamps out the fire. It's funny because I think, um, like, I will say, I think personally, I don't know if I'm biased, but they hold up so well, the movies. Um, but there are some of those shots that I think are, it's just kind of like the era. Like they see, they were probably really, really cool in 2001 but then now mm-hmm. we've probably seen it so many times or it's just like the effect is kind of it, now it seems like a little bit basic, but like seeing it in 2001 must know, like, oh, my God, you know, like it's it just so, such good directing by Peter Jackson. But, yeah, it's funny to kind of see some of those things that don't necessarily hold up um, as well in 2020. Yeah, I think we're going to we're going to bring up that point a lot more throughout <laughs> this episode, especially at least at least for me, I think especially when we get to Moria. So it's too late, though. The Nazgul, I think it pans away and you can see the plume of smoke up in the air and the Nazgul are like, there they are. <laughs> and so the hobbits run up to the top of Weathertop and the Nazgul. I love I love the hobbits though. They do this like in a lot of moments where all three of them crowd around Frodo to protect him. Mm-hmm. And it's so sweet and it's such an endearing thing quality for the hobbits and like their loyalty and friendship that like cuz especially in this point in the story, they don't know how to fight. They mm-hmm. like Aragorn literally just gave them swords. They don't know how to use them. And so even still jump in front of, in front to protect their friend. It immediately fails the Nazgul come in and just like yeet Merry and Pippin and Sam out of the way. And Frodo puts the ring on to try and get away. And this is when uh I think this is no, it's not the first instance. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, he did it in the tavern. Yeah, it's in the tavern when you see this effect where he's kind of, he's like half in this world, half not. And he sees like the evil side of of the world kind of and the the creatures and the people that have been touched by this Mm -hmm. darkness that he, you know, is wearing as a ring. And when he puts it on this time, though, he can see the Nazgul as they were when they were old crusty white men. (laughs) (laughs) 
which is terrifying. What's funny, though, is that, like, he puts the ring on and he just sits there. He doesn't run away. I guess you could say, like, oh, he's, like, just in shock and he's looking around. But, like, he he gets stabbed immediately because he hasn't moved at all. And the Nazgul can see where he is. Yeah. And I wonder, like, yeah, what was the point of putting it on? But I think maybe in his eyes, he was, like, thought it would hide him, not knowing. And then, like, the shock of actually seeing them in a different form could also be because mm-hmm. if I if that happened to me I'd be like I'm like I probably wouldn't have moved either <laughs> yeah and he's yeah. just like this little thing so I think I think in that sense it it makes sense you know mm-hmm. yeah I do a lot of talk and like making fun of everyone in this situation when in reality I would probably die immediately <laughs> like I would probably be the Boromir of the situation so oh, but, but I wouldn't die heroically like that either <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I don't even think it would be heroic. I, I think it maybe it would be it would be before then. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I would like be in Moria and accidentally slip off and like fall. <laughs> yeah, I would have totally fallen off the cliff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Frodo gets stabbed, ouch, and then comes in to save the day. Aragorn. Yay. And this was apparently Vigo Mortensen's first day on set was this scene, this fight sequence, and it was mm-hmm. his first time handling a sword. I think he did pretty good. The like actual cinematography of the fight isn't super great. It's all over the place, I think, to try and make it feel like, wow, a lot of action is happening here. Like, if you put that aside, it's very... He comes in here and gets and wards off nine Nazgul. He sets one of them on fire. I don't know what your opinions were on that one who got set on fire and, like, stumbles off the side. I thought it was kind of... I don't even think the word cheesy encompasses, like, what I felt about that, but, like... It's so interesting hearing you talk about this and knowing that it's like been like a recent watch for you. Cause like, I mean, not that I'm like sugarcoating all like it's, it's, well, I do think it's the most amazing thing ever, but uh, (laughs) like, I, and I'm not, I'm not going to deny like, oh, of course, like when there's stuff that doesn't hold up or whatever, but it's so funny because it really is something where I'm like, oh, but I remember watching that thinking like I, I used to watch when I was watching the fellowship, like I would watch it by myself in my room and stuff. And I would get so scared, you know, and like, um, cause it, you know, to me it was believable and it was, it was just like something I had never seen before. And like the effects were amazing and all that. And so even though I, I've seen so many more movies than this since then, but um, I still think it's like, to me, all of it, all of it makes sense. So when you're like, Oh, how did, what did you think of the fire? Then I was like, yeah, like that's what it is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like like it, it was badass like he put fi- he, yeah like he came in and like killed the Nazgul or you know like yeah looking at it and then I get what you're saying about the light because I think this is probably reminiscent of like the 2000s where it's more you can see that it is a production like you know a set and everything it doesn't feel so as cohesive I think as like maybe um modern um uh, like Nowadays, like the movies feel a little bit more some of them if they're done right and now I can really tell like oh that is a set piece but when I saw it back then, it didn't feel that way. Oh, yeah. I totally understand what you mean with that. In um, the first episode for this movie, I like talked in a loop basically with my guest about like, I don't really know if I like love these movies or if they're good movies for me because like, I think they're great. I think they're like really good adaptations. And for the time, I think like it could have been way worse special effects and, you know, makeup or, or filming and editing than it is and it's there are a lot of moments where it's really good but 
it's those moments that take me, I guess that's it, is that like the moment where he sets the Nazgul on fire and he just kind of like flaps his arms around and like waddles and like stumbles off weather top kind of took me out of the moment because to me, I was like, well, that was obviously like a stunt man. They dressed up in Nazgul robes and put on a flame retardant thing and set him on fire as like a practical effects kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It was something that like really took me out of the moment. However, a lot of the for these movies in general, there's like a good balance of for every like one thing that takes me out of it. There's like three more things that like really help me stay grounded in the world, Mm -hmm. whether it's like the costuming or the acting or the story that's happening or the beautiful sweeping scenery, (laughs) you know, things like that. Anyway, okay, so this story... Oh, one thing is there's this line that Vig, I don't know why, if it really was his first day of filming, maybe he hadn't quite gotten into that like Aragorn accent because it's also not really a British accent, Mm -hmm. but it's also not a like American accent or or anything. It's like half and half. And he says the line, uh, he was stabbed by a Morgul blade, but he says it like he was stabbed by a Morgul blade. Yeah. He's been stabbed by a Morgul blade. Listeners should know I have rewatched Fellowship of the Ring many times in the last couple days. (laughs) And every time that line, I just like cringe and I'm like, could Peter Jackson not have been like, hey, Vigo, let's maybe do that again. Just one more time. <laughs> and he carries Frodo off like a baby. Oh, yeah. I love any time that happens with the hobbits. Um, So we cut back to Isengard. Gandalf apparently in the movies can talk to animals. And he sends a message with a moth to presumably the eagles. And fun fact, I don't know why this is a trivia fact, but that moth... <laughs> was basically its only life was this one filming day because this trivia says that the moth was born shortly before filming that scene and it died shortly after. So <laughs> That's rest weird. in peace, little buddy. You ser- you served a good life. <laughs> Thanks for your service. <laughs> yeah, not many moths can say that they were a star in Lord of the Rings. So <laughs> you did it. You did it, bud. This is one of the moments from the books especially or a theme from the book that kind of really comes through in this scene with Isengard and Saruman Tolkien has this like huge commentary on the books about like nature versus industrialization it was like a very relevant topic for him at the time especially given that like he put a lot of his experiences from World War One into the books you know at that time in 19 you know 1910s 1920s this was a huge you know boom in the world for industrialization and advancement of technology and then with that this like loss of nature and you see that happening quite literally with Isengard where they're (laughs) chopping down trees and which of course has a consequence later (laughs) Um, and building like all these cranes and cat like catapults and they're building the city and and breeding such an unnatural army (laughs) these Orcs, I don't know about you. Anytime I rewatched this, I could not watch the the scene of the orcs like bursting out of these like gross amniotic sacks. And I mean, pro- however, like props to the makeup and oh, costume so department. Because they did such a good job that I am genuinely disgusted. It's nasty. That whole montage I love, um, like the music, the shot of like when Gandalf, like it go- the camera just pans down into 
um, them like, you know, throwing the trees in and then it kind of goes to the, um, the orc making, <laughs> um, or bursting. And, um, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of like the, that sort of thing. Like I love alien and I love all those. So like, you like, this is on par with that. Oh, it is very, it is very similar to alien. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just like the, the fact that like, you, you know, like the, I, I, I saw the, the special features back then and like, you know, there's people in there, but like, you still believe it. And I think that's so good. Um, and I still believe it, um, when I watch it now. So I always think like, oh, that's so messy. Like now I just think more practical because I'm just like, you know, I'm an adult and I have to clean stuff now. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, that's like muddy. And they have to get your stuff in there. Know, it's yeah. so gross. Like <laughs> go shower, go, yeah. go shower, go wash yourself. Oh, yeah. it's gross. Yeah. Another fact is that during this scene, the orc blacksmiths are actually Weta Workshop mm-hmm. staff who um, Weta Workshop made the weapons for this movie. So I think that's really cool. And there are a lot of other things like that where they got people who like actually know what they're doing to be extras in scenes. So I think that's really cool that like they let them be blacksmith orcs in this movie because like they actually knew what they were doing with making the weapons and stuff yeah so So we cut back frodo is dying quickly which is very (laughs) uh it's like there's a huge sense of urgency i think it's like a full chapter and a half in the book and that like they make comments along the way to rivendell where they're like oh hey i think those are the trolls that bilbo saw back when he was on his journeys isn't that cool like they it's very it's a very gradual thing here it's very urgent very panicking situation aragorn tells sam to look for this weed called athelis and (laughs) sam's like yeah i can go find it and i don't know why but i got um donkey blue flower red thorns vibe when they send (laughs) yeah i was like oh you're panicking right now i don't need this like I need yeah. <laughs> blue flower, red thorns, blue flower, red thorns, blue flower, red thorns. This would be so much easier if I wasn't colorblind. I really like this moment. Uh, Aragorn's looking and then all of a sudden someone puts a sword to his throat and is like, huh, is this a ranger who's wandered off too far or something like that? Ranger cut off his guard. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And like, I love that moment. Here's So here's the thing, Catherine, for your context. Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn, specifically and only as Aragorn, is yes. um, the love of my life. Yeah. If you, had, if you had spoken to like 13-year-old Catherine and like 13 to like 20-year-old Catherine, <laughs> it, the same. And then I saw him in an interview once, like for the, you know, during this thing. I was like, oh, you're, yeah. re- you're a really good actor. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you are not, you're like, he was like so timid and shy, which is like cute in its own way. But I was like, on Aragorn. So that part did take me out of it. Um, Like what, like when I rewatched the movies, when I saw interviews with him, because I was like, oh, you're not really like that. Like, I was really surprised and shocked too. It it was, it, uh, yeah, it's definitely jarring to say the least. But yeah, I just love that moment when Arwen puts the sword to his throat and he like looks up and you have this moment of like, uh oh. And then we have this ethereal slow motion entrance for Arwen, which to me is, I was just like, this is what the male gaze is Mm -hmm. in this moment. She's lit. She's like in all white. Her hair is flowing. There's this, it's, it's the same effect that they do at a lot of other points in the movies. It's like a sepia tone, slow-mo, like heavenly effect on her, which she's an elf. That makes sense. And this is just, uh, I'm just going to warn 
foreign listeners, this is just going to be the start of a very arduous relationship for me and Arwen because like I want to I want to be like, yeah, women supporting women, but just what they do with her character annoys me to no end. And uh, I will rant about it in just a bit. (laughs) But first, she says that she can take Frodo to Rivendell and Aragorn is is like, I'll take him. You stay with the hobbits. And she says, I can ride faster. I'll take him. And they have this little moment where you're like, oh, so they're together. Okay. (laughs) Which I I kind of like how they set that up here in the movie because there's there's none of that in the book. It's very funny how how little setup there is for their relationship in the book. Mm-hmm. But I do like that they just come in and there's this like established history, like a very long history, it sounds like, between them where they, they're like super comfortable with each other already and familiar with each other and know how the other person thinks. But they also um, have a long way to go in their relationship as we'll we'll see in a different scene. The fact she was able to put a sword to his uh, to his neck, I think that was like a very telling moment in their relationship of kind of a, a thing of like joking around like y- y- that sort of yeah. thing like knowing mm-hmm. each other so well mm-hmm. and 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 being able to cuz you don't do that to everybody <laughs> so yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah so she so Aragorn's like okay take him and she goes out she goes off at the speed of light with Frodo on the horse and the Nazgul pursue her and this is it's like a very cool action sequence and it's a moment that I feel like her character starts off with a lot of promise for the movies immediately occurred to me I was like oh they're they're kind of like leveling the playing field and showing that like Arwen and Aragorn are equals basically and that she is like just as capable of fighting off all these Nazgul as Aragorn is and she does it on horseback while also (laughs) carrying a hobbit that's very hard to do and it's a very it is a very cool moment for her um and they get to the river i guess like outside of rivendell and she uses elf magic (laughs) it comes up washes the the nazgul away there's a moment where i'm kind of confused Frodo is like moments away from passing out and does she like transfer some of her elf magic or whatever to him to like keep him alive long enough I'm not really sure like what what goes on there I got the feeling that she gave him a little bit of like just a little gist to get him to um uh Riverdale basically so I feel Rivendale Rivendale I've heard of I it's okay I did that when I was reading the books like yeah. several times <laughs> it's so fun. yeah like the 2020 in there also I just want to point out one of the Nazgul calls Arwen a she-elf and I was like it was it was like really funny how these thoughts occurred to me like right back to back I was like really do we have to can she not just be an elf why does it have to be a she-elf literally no one I don't think in the books ever calls a female elf she-elf and then all of a sudden I was like the Nazgul are evil old crusty white men that makes sense that like they would be sexist you know (laughs) or that they would use a misogynistic term or whatever so I was like okay well uh I guess I guess that wraps up those thoughts on that thing for me (laughs) yeah and that will come back a little later another movie (laughs) oh my gosh so Frodo wakes up he's safe and sound Gandalf is sitting there and this is like Um, I talked previously about how there's this big character change for Gandalf from the books to the movies, because in the books, he's a lot more kind of like stern and serious, and they make him a lot warmer in the movies. 
I like both of these versions of Gandalf. And I just love, oh my God, him in this scene, it kills me. Frodo is like, where were you? We were supposed to meet in Prancing Pony. Like where it's like a kid who got left behind at the grocery store. Yeah. And is like, where were you? You didn't come get me. (laughs) Gandalf could easily just be like, I don't think you understand the ordeal that I have been through. (laughs) I went to go talk to my trusted advisor and he betrayed us. He betrayed all of us. He uh beat down on me and I don't this was another moment for me Catherine that really took me out was that wizard fight yeah that I will say that's always been a little like eh. that one's <laughs> it's a little bit too silly yeah but instead of going into this very long sad story about how he was completely betrayed by someone he trusted he was kept prisoner he is like on top of this tower for I don't know probably a week now at this point I don't know how long it is and has to like make this grand escape and instead he just looks he looks at Frodo and there's this look in his eyes oh it's so good and he just says like I was delayed you just hear the sadness in his voice because he just he doesn't want to like burden Frodo with that that like I was captured by Saruman and I don't think you realize that it wasn't my fault and he just says I was delayed because he doesn't want to burden Frodo with that because Frodo's already been burdened with so much at that point you've given me a really good because um that I want to say that now like like I've watched these movies so many times where like I kind of know the dialogue but sometimes when I'm re-watching them um I'm like oh like I understand even now like I still see things a little differently or like now that I'm older experience different things I like it hits differently and now that you say like mm-hmm. I was delayed I was like oh that's my adult working life like I'm gonna use that next time <laughs> like like we were delayed we were I was just... delayed yeah I was like <laughs> don't even ask <laughs> the, the other thing though is that like in the book this was almost like a comedic moment for me because it was a thing of like you were delayed you like straight up didn't show up when you like I would I think that's an understatement dude like it's a bit comedic because it's so like there's so much more to that than just I was delayed (laughs) yeah but the way that I mean Sir Ian McKellen like delivers that line is oh it's so so, good yeah good the way he like he puts so much feeling and meaning into three words it's so good yeah and we get a little flashback to what happened. Uh, Saruman comes up to the tower like one last time to basically be like, are you going to join me? You need to join us. And Gandalf is like, takes a stand against him. And uh, Saruman says a line that I think is a meme. He says, so you have chosen death. And that's something that like I've seen people share a lot on the internet for something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Gandalf like falls off the tower the eagle comes and gets him and they fly over beautiful New Zealand scenery. Oh. Again, Peter Jackson is lucky the country of New Zealand exists. Yeah. And then uh, we cut back to Frodo's like, Gandalf, hello. And he's like, yeah, sorry about that. I was just having like a traumatic flashback but don't worry about it this thing's more important (laughs) Elrond comes in and I have to so here's the thing is like I never I never really thought about what Elrond looked like as I was reading it but Hugo Weaving is not what I imagined yeah (laughs) he has such a big forehead in this it's sort of like a I don't know if you saw um the mummy return like the second one in the original um like Brendan Fraser one but the Scorpion King which is the rock where they like at the very end spoiler 
um but he has like his hairline and all they do is like add like a little like a lot it's like horrible and it's like cgi and so that kind of reminds me of this thing like you should have done something (laughs) (laughs) however we almost as i'm like reading trivia there's a lot of like oh nicholas cage was almost aragorn or russell crowe was almost aragorn or whatever I'm not sure about the Nicolas Cage one now that I think about it. I think <laughs> Russell Crowe actually was almost Aragorn. But um, David Bowie was almost Elrond. Ooh, that would have been a good one. Can you imagine? That's crazy. But they ultimately decided, they're like, I don't think we can have someone this big and famous in this important of a role yeah it was like a hat on a hat we can't have two big things we just gotta we gotta pick one or the other (laughs) although like for me i that was also like 1999 was the matrix like the first one and so i kept thinking i think when i saw this i was like mr anderson you know like it was just like (laughs) that was trippy for me so it's always never really not that he's wrong for the role it's just you can tell like he's perfectly fine he just, I don't, no offense to Hugo Weaving, but he just doesn't really look like an elf to me. Like, you look at Orlando Bloom oh. and you're like, that's an elf. Yeah. <laughs> Frodo reunites with Merry and Pippin and Sam, and he also reunites with Bilbo. And despite the fact that I have read the books and I have seen Fellowship of the Ring now at least a couple times, I was like genuinely like, Bilbo, yeah. it's you. And this happened every time in the books, too, whenever they're reunited with him. I get so happy whenever you run into Bilbo because it's like it's just like an, a, a reminder, you know, you're far away from home and it's a comfort from home. And Bilbo has been writing his adventures. Yeah. The Hobbit there and back again, um, which is like a fun little uh, Easter egg, I guess, for people, because at this point, you know, um it was just the Lord of the Rings were the movies. They hadn't made the Hobbit movies yet, Mm-mm. which I know are terrible, but I will be covering those <laughs> in a couple months. Yeah. But yeah. At the time, they were, I guess they were like, we don't know if we're going to get to make the Hobbit. So let's put in as many like fun Easter eggs to Bilbo's adventures as we can. And for me, it was really cool because I, I had that the Hobbit was very in my mind from the movie and the cartoon and then seeing going to Lord of the Rings. And, and I think back then I probably knew Bilbo's story like really well and like just knowing like you know when you know more about that and like why that's there it's just so much fun so Mm -hmm. I think that was like a nice little ode for people who did know about the Hobbit yeah oh it's funny the Hobbit the uh, Sam and uh, Frodo are like oh wow it's so great that we brought the ring here we did our job it'll be great to go home there's this fun little Easter egg from the books if you have the subtitles on when Frodo first walks up to Sam as he's packing his bag Sam Sam is talking he's like muttering under his breath and he's like oh I forgot rope and this is something that is like a plot point in the book when they leave Rivendell Sam like goes over in detail all the things that he packed in his bag and he's basically like the Mary Poppins of the group because he packed like anything he thinks they could be prepared for but all of a sudden he remembers he's like oh I forgot rope I hope we don't ever need rope again and then eventually they do and it's a whole thing so I just appreciate those small details of like this was a thing in the books that they took directly and you know they didn't they didn't make it a whole thing but it's just like a fun easter egg for people who had read the books to be like oh there's sam obsessing over rope and packing his bags (laughs) good old sam wise and then enter 
the rest of the fellowship. Oh, yes, my life changed forever. <laughs> <laughs> we get like close-up entrances of Boromir yes. and Gimli and some other dwarves and Legolas and some other elves. And it's just kind of like, oh, my God, they're here. The story is it's about to get, you know, for people who have seen it before or know the story, they know what's about to come. And you're like, ah, yes, more of these characters. I can't wait for this. Elrond and Gandalf have a little chat about what's going on. And Elrond is basically like, we can't keep the ring here. Just before was the scene of Frodo and <laughs> Sam being like, we got the ring to the elves and that's all we had to do. The end, our part is over. And then Elrond's like, we can't have the ring here because we have both Isengard and Mordor, Sauron, looking at us and it won't be safe here. We also can't have it because it will corrupt us. He has a little, we get some more exposition, which the movies do a lot better than the books because in the books, it's just like the first 50 pages. <laughs> it's just like all backstory and exposition. And here they really intersperse it a lot better. Yeah. Um, and Elrond talks about how he, I believe this is another meme. He's like, you weren't there. Like, don't tell <laughs> me what I don't do and don't know. I was there the day the strength of men failed. Yeah. <laughs> and and talks about how he was there when Isildur couldn't throw the ring into Mordor and destroy it. Yeah. And so uh, you like learned that backstory of like, okay, so that's why we can't we can't give the ring to basically anyone because it'll corrupt them. Like even yeah. uh, and it's a great line. He says men are weak. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny because um, such a good way to utilize those flashbacks. And I know like, I guess probably a few years, which is 2004 was my one of my favorite TV shows, which I think is a precursor to a lot of like also Game of Thrones and everything, which I think Lord of the Rings also has stamped. I don't know. It's like a lot of influence. Mm -hmm. But um, it, like the flashbacks of just giving you a little bit to like give you context to what's going on in a way that, like you said, in the book, it's probably a little bit confusing or whatever. Or it's it would be too much to like just throw at or yeah. it would probably be a little boring as well. So they just give you these little nuggets of like you wanting to know more. But yet you learn a lot within that little montage and it's really cool. And then you're like, oh, I want to know more about that. But it's like, oh, for a later time. So then we have a cut to this like very weird scene. <laughs> and I don't think it's necessarily needed. It's again a moment when I'm like, when people are like, well, how is Lord of the Rings so long? I'm like, this I can point to this scene and be like, because they did this. Boromir comes in. Aragorn is like sitting in the corner reading somewhere because, oh, I should say, they do some like very not so subtle foreshadowing with the way that a character will say a line and then they cut to the character basically that that line is subtextually about mm -hmm. <laughs> and they did this where Gandalf and Elrond are like but who can save us and Gandalf says like well there is one person who can unite us all and Elrond is like he walked away from that life he chose exile cut to Aragorn yeah <laughs> That's a good old 2000s storytelling. <laughs> and he is like just sitting in a courtyard reading a book. And then Boromir walks in. He, they have this like very weird stare down and have like intense eye contact. And to me, it's just like this is a dick measuring contest. Boromir is just like immediately measuring up this random guy that he doesn't know is Aragorn yet. He's just like, this is a random ranger who's here. And he picks up the shards of Narsil, which is the blade that broke 
And then uh, uh, Isildur used the broken blade mm-hmm. to cut off Sauron's finger, and it's still broken, and it's re- lying here in Rivendell in pieces. And this is a really interesting thing that is a total diversion from the books, because in the books, Aragorn shows up to Rivendell, and he has the broken blade with him. When they leave Rivendell, the sword is reforged and they barely mention it at all. And and he just has the sword and that's it. Like yeah. that's all, and it was something that as I was reading the books, I was like, that's a really like weird anticlimactic thing because I don't think I, I brought it up in the previous episode when Aragorn is introduced, but they also don't do his famous poem in the book, which is the not all those who wander are lost mm, yeah. poem. And it's like very foundational. I guess to his character and it basically tells you exactly who this kid is it talks about like the blade being reforged and the re- and the king returning and it's basically his entire backstory in fate and destiny in one poem and they don't have that I think maybe there's one line that is spoken in by a different character in Return of the King so it's just like so weird how this is a total like deviation from the books yeah I guess it makes for an interesting moment that I'll talk you know obviously I'll get more in depth and in Return of the King, you know, it's not it's not necessarily a change that I hate. I don't mind this change because when I was reading it, like I said, I thought it was I was like, that seems kind of weird and anticlimactic that they would like make this whole to do about the broken blade and the sword reforged. And then they just did it without any pomp and circumstance. Yeah. But I also I also think, well, for me, I don't mind the length of the movie. I think I've always liked longer movies if, if they're interesting enough. And like this world, I'll, when I was watching it for the first time, I was so in awe with everything that it was like I wanted more. You know, I would have watched six hours of it, which I did in the extended version. But um, it really speaks to like the Boromir loss that, you know, we're going to get eventually. And I think these little moments, especially with Sean Bean being so like he has such a presence and we're going to learn later on his career you know like that that it is very true you just need that little bit to really I think if there wasn't enough of Boromir in these little scenes especially with Aragorn and the way he feels about like men and everything and like not taking responsibility and then you have someone like Boromir who's very much like wants to lead but he's not the right leader um Mm -hmm. it it just makes it such more like more impactful in the in the end of the fellowship with whatever happens maybe they they felt that they needed to keep those moments even though this one is Mm -hmm. a little bit odd but it's really showing like the history gondor aragorn what he's not going towards yeah my thing is that like i can get all of that from what happens in the Council of Elrond scene. So for me, this moment where Boromir comes in and is like judging Aragorn and although it does make for like a fun, awkward moment in the Council of Elrond, I don't I don't know. I guess I'd like I just don't really need this scene again. But that's also hard for me because like I can't just take out all of the knowledge that I have from the books and be like, but would I also have those feelings if I was just coming into the movies with no books, you know? Mm-hmm. But Boromir picks up the blade and like pokes himself and bleeds and I'm like good job buddy okay you I I will say it is a very good job of like you immediately get a vibe for this dude and it's not great yeah (laughs) I I think that's what like it's establishing is like because in in the council like everyone gets their little bit but like I think they needed to put extra emphasis on him because of what happens you know later on and the fact that like you can tell he's a good dude you know obviously he's trying to fight for for, uh, um, Middle Earth but you can tell that the way he's going to get there or the way 
he he would go about it is not necessarily the right way as you know standing next to Aragorn who you know is probably going to do more of the right thing that we've learned you know in the little bit that we learn yeah I really I really like the way that you put it how you know Aragorn is meant to be the leader but he's not ready to step into that role yet and then here comes Boromir who's like desperate to lead people and he's just not the right person for it at all and these are like total opposite people basically Mm -hmm. he drops it and then when he like walks away Aragorn picks it up and puts it back on its place and does like I think a sign of the cross or something (laughs) um something like that which obviously is like you're like okay so this sword is very important to his character (laughs) and who he is and then Arwen comes in (laughs) basically it's a whole talk about like so Aragorn is he's not wanting to accept his fate of being this king and this leader and he's not ready for that and he's not ready to take this blade and you know make it anew and and do what like he's supposed to do Arwen also start they start talking about their relationship (laughs) and so this is this is this is really where, for me, she really falls flat as a character. Like I said, they had a, like a really promising start with her. Where she comes in, she's out and about on her own. She has a sword. She's doing, I, I guess, like rangery type things on her mm-hmm. own in the woods. And she saves Frodo. She has this really cool action sequence. But I feel like that was just, they made that scene and they're like, okay, cool. So like we made an amazing feminist icon, didn't we? Like, sh- like we showed her in one action scene we don't have to do anything else with her for the rest of these movies also the entire time her character is only in relation to men it is she's like never it's never like arwen is arwen for arwen's sake yeah (laughs) i don't know how to say that it's always like she comes in and she saves frodo and saves all these other saves aragorn and and the, the other hobbits like she's saving these men and then she comes in and she serves as the love interest for the rest of the story and is basically only there to save Aragorn in various situations. Yeah. And it's very like I get I get what the movie the writers and producers and directors were trying to do with this because they were they read the story and they're like this is bad. There's like two female characters. We can't not we can't have two. I know, let's bump up Arwen's character and have her be in more scenes. And yeah. And it just it just really falls flat for me. Yeah, it always bugged me that like she was an elf, you know, and obviously immortal. And I was like, why do you have to give that up? Like, like uh, you know, just in my, like, yes! in, in my very, like, you know, 13-year-old brain, um, like, because there was no terms back then, like, you know, from when I grew up of, like, male gaze, female gaze. Like, I didn't understand. I didn't know any of mm-hmm. that. Like, I would just, I, I was accepting, like, what they were giving me. But, like, that's all you know. And then, like, now when I look back at movies I saw uh, when I was younger, I was like, ooh, like, that was bad, you know? <laughs> um, or, yeah, or, like, yeah. or TV shows. But, um, and so that's why it's also kind of when I hear people, I guess maybe like Gen Z people who are like, oh, this is like the worst thing. It's like in, in the in the context, like you had to have lived in it and it wasn't necessarily bad. But now we know yeah. we know better, you know, and yeah. and even then, like what I was seeing on screen, like her giving up her immortality would not have matched what I would have done as like even a 13 year old girl. So it was still like the screen on screen stuff was not the representation necessarily of like my real life, um, mm-hmm. which is probably still happening today. Right. But it, it's just funny because I always felt like, man, like 
I'm going to get with this guy, Aragorn, maybe like, you know, eventually, like, I would have lived a good life, had his baby, I don't know, whatever, you know, and then, <laughs> and then, and then, like, I'm going to go on about my, like, because I think, I don't know when it is, Elrond has like a, I don't know if it's another movie, so I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it, but like, no, that's okay. It all kind of blends together. Yeah, it does. Point, like, so. Yeah, I've seen this like over a hundred times, so I'm like, I don't know, but he's telling her, you're going to have to see him like get old and like die and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And to me, I was just like, the fact that they were framing it in that way, like, you're going to have to live alone, that seemed, now that I think about it, that's like the, you know, the kind of um, male shit. It was like, oh, you, you're going to live alone? Like, why would you do that? Yeah. You know? And yeah, it, a woman being unmarried? Unheard of. Yeah. And so that was like, to me, it never meshed, like, no matter what. Like, I, mm-hmm. I accepted it. I went with it or whatever. But I was just thinking, yeah. like, I want to live forever. Like, I don't want to die. Especially when you're a little kid, you don't want to die at all, you know? So um, that's really scary. And so me, I was like, why are you doing that? Like, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think something that, like, just really annoys me, and it was something as I was reading the books, too, is when I would bring up this point of, like, the female representation is terrible. And people would be like, well, for the time, it was really great. And I'm like, that's fine. But, like, we're talking about it in the context now of 2020. Mm-hmm. And the context of 2020 is that this is not good representation. That's fine and dandy for 50 years ago, but it's not great for now. And we need to, you know, it's just a it's just a sign for, for us that, like, for people who create works of fiction going forward that, like, we need to continue to do better. Yeah. Real quick, I wanted to find for the listeners who didn't I was a women and gender studies minor in college so like these terms are very second nature to me so for people who didn't study feminism in college um, I wanted to find the male gaze for you real real quickly just a literally the Wikipedia definition as I typed into Google um, the male gaze is the act of depicting women and the world in the visual arts and in literature from a masculine heterosexual perspective that presents and represents women as a a sexual object for pleasure of the male viewer. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that like, oh, they overly sexualized the characters, but it's definitely presented in a way as like they exist only in relation to heterosexual men characters in this yeah. movie. So. Well, I mean, like Supergirl was like basically crop top and like her first scene was in a bikini. Like it was just like it was really bad. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's um, I think another way to put it is that like the male gaze is what happens when movie creators create a female character as if the straight man is the default audience member. Yeah. And they are targeting that directly to the straight male audience member. Yeah. Yeah, I would always think in the action movies or something, I'd be like, that looks so uncomfortable to, like, fight in, you know? Yeah. Why would you wear that? And, like, <laughs> yeah. So that that's what happened. Listeners, that's why, like, in action movies, the women are in these, like, tight suits that has zero actual protective quality to them. And, and you're like, there's no way you could fight in that. And you would immediately, that offers no protection. What is wrong with you? Yeah. Okay, cool. So now that we've had a crash course in feminism. Yeah. <laughs> we digress. <laughs> um, yeah, they have this conversation about her immortality which it's an interesting thing for me because I'm like okay on one hand her body her choice if she wants to because she she does have a good line of like and Aragorn does say it's not a it's not an instance of he's asking her to give yeah, up her he never did he never does that yeah he he says the opposite he's like I wouldn't I would never ask that of you that's way too big and she says it's mine to give it's it's up to me to decide whether or not I want to give up my immortality you know I respect that choice it's not the choice I would go with (laughs) and 
I'm just thinking about like, man, if I was an elf, are you kidding me? I would never in my life give up immortality for a dumb boy. I mean, yeah. even if it is Aragorn. I, I think I think I'm trying to think, well, I'm sure people will be asking, well, what do you want then, right? Thinking about it now, given the fact that Aragorn is Aragorn and he's so like he didn't force he's not forcing her to give up this. It's nothing like that. He's and that's what makes him so much more like, oh my god, you're so hot. Is <laughs> is I feel like he it, later on maybe at the end of the like return of the king kind of thing maybe been where he would have been a character to maybe want her to move on so he knew he knows that his legacy of what he does would actually be fulfilled because he could trust her to really like see that through and see like if they have children and stuff and so to me that would make more sense of like you know and then she would given the fact that she loves him so much obviously she would honor that wish because she's going to be immortal and so to me, that would make more of a like maybe a modern oh, wow. sort of retell- retelling of like, hey, you don't have to give this up because you are who you he, are. Like he can like pass the mantle onto her, onto her, like, you know, pass the torch on once he's gone so she can, you know, make sure it stays fulfilled. Yeah. So that would also give yes. her like an equal footing of like they are equals. It's just going to be unequal because he's going to be king because of his legacy. But she is part of that because she's going to be able to like really you know, use all the knowledge, which I think I've seen in some like other stuff, it's like a remnants of that. But like, to me, thinking about what we would want, because that's always a question like, well, what, are you, what do you guys want, you know, and then so yeah. it's just like, that would be in terms mm-hmm. of like a story wise, also really good, not just like a feminine type thing. But that makes more sense to me, given the fact that Aragorn is so moral, and you know, is so fearful of what's to come that why wouldn't he want someone that he could trust like a hundred and two hundred percent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really love that. That's like a great like alternative, you know, ending for this storyline and this character. That's like really, that's really awesome. Thank you for, <laughs> for like thinking of that and bringing that up. That's really cool. Yeah. Then we get to the Council of Elrond. In the book, it is... It's such a chapter. It's like 30 plus pages. There's all these characters being introduced. Literally every person that talks is giving this like deep backstory of like, here's how I got to where I am now. So so given all that, it doesn't surprise me that the Council of the Council of Elrond scene was rewritten several times but they kept like every time they would rewrite it, it kept getting too long and too expo- expository. Is that expository i think yeah yeah. is that am i saying that word right (laughs) (laughs) expository whatever too much too much exposition and they even had they even rewrote it as they were filming it so there's a part of boromir's speech where sean bean is reading it from a paper in his lap because he had like just gotten it the night before so i just think that's like that that doesn't surprise me at all because it's such a hefty chapter and i was when i was reading the book i was imagining like how the heck do they do this in the movie there's so much happening and they just kind of got to a point where they're like we have to we can't do everything that happens in this chapter we just have to pare it down to essentials only essentials only for this (laughs) which they did they did a good job i think yeah yeah and Elrond gives the speech and he talks about, he's talking about like the future of what's going to happen. And he's like, we are either going to unite as one. And then it cuts to Aragorn as Elrond is talking, or we will fail. And then it cuts to Boromir. 
<laughs> Very emphasized. Yeah, it's like super, super heavy foreshadowing. When Frodo places the ring down, it's so interesting to see that Boromir is immediately, he like leans in and immediately and he goes, tis a gift. <laughs> and you're just like, oh no, this is, I don't know. I don't like this guy. Yeah. Also, Catherine, for your context, reading the books, Boromir was one of my least favorite characters. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do not like Boromir. And everyone kept saying like, oh, he's so much better in the movies. Not really. There's like one or two moments where I'm like, I get why people say he's not that bad. But it to me, it doesn't redeem everything yeah. that happens. Although, will you say, I guess I will ask this just because... I love Sean Bean as an actor. He always kind of plays these characters where you know he's kind of like shady, yet you know he has good within him. And so, you know, he'll have these like redemptive qualities sometimes. So how did you feel like watching him? Yeah, so he honestly was his performance in this, especially I, I think maybe like just with those moments where like he's clearly being tempted by the ring to use it and he just has the wrong idea of what to do when he's like super misguided, I guess, for those moments specifically. His performance is almost like cartoonish. It's very, to me, at least for me, and like I'm really sorry for people who love Sean Bean, but his performance like didn't really blow me away. He is really great in... <laughs> I don't mean this to be mean. He is really great when he's dying. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No, but like that's a really, you know, that's a really good moment. And I do, I do like a lot of other moments for him, but... It's just, like, very over the top. I, I would almost say that, like, it almost reads more as, like, a stage performance mm. for him. Because when you are a stage actor, you have to be very big. Because you have to make sure the people in the back row can, like, feel and see your performance. Mm -hmm. So when you come to a screen and the and movies, you have to, like, really tone that down. So it almost feels like he played this role as a play and then came in and they didn't tell him to tone it down. Yeah, I can see that, too. Maybe the fact that, like you you know his character later like he is playing against his type a little bit although he has played these kind of like shady folks in like like mission impossible and stuff like that so maybe it was also sort of that thing like it was just too much but i can see both ways i think mm -hmm. yeah yeah so he is immediately drawn in and taken over by the ring and he is like we should use it <laughs> and aragorn <laughs> which he'll bring up time and time again and aragorn is like did you not just... We have to destroy it. This is not good. We have to destroy it. And Boromir is like, and who do you think you are? And Legolas stands <sighs> up yeah. and is uh, defends his friend and goes, this is Aragorn. That is no mere ranger. That is Aragorn, son of Arathorn, king of Gondor. Oh my goodness. And Boromir is like, you are no king of mine. Gondor has no king. So good. Wait, can we just go on the side tangent of, of Legolas? Oh my, I don't know how long your episode's yes, going to be, but 13-year-old yeah. or whatever, 12, 13-year-old cat, like, I was obsessed with freaking Legolas. So much so, <laughs> like, I, and then, of course, I got into Orlando Bloom, and then he was in Pirates of the Caribbean, I think, like, a few years later, yeah. and it was like, oh my god, I freaking love Orlando Bloom. So I was, like, totally obsessed. I remember I had, like, I bought, like, calendars, and, like, I had, like, all his, like, I just took the calendar, like the photos of him from the calendar, put it all on my wall, oh and my then gosh. like Did you get like inserts from magazines. Yeah, oh like, yeah, I had, out into posters. Yeah, I would do all of that, <laughs> and then um, it's funny because 
back then we had AIM, which is AOL Instant Messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, and my screen name was like Lego Cat because it was like Catherine, you know, cat and then like Legolas. Yeah. Um, and then oh all, yeah, and then I had uh, my first Yahoo email address was like obcat21 because it was Orlando Bloom and then cat because, you know, we're going to get married, right? Whatever. So, <laughs> and so I still like use that to this day. And it's funny because like I, it always just brings back those memories of like I was so, you know, like when you're a girl, you're like just writing down like oh, yeah. Orlando Bloom and stuff. And it's just like Legolas was, I guess, my, maybe my like first really intense on screen crush or something. But I, I mean, I'm sure he oh, was for so many. That's so so fantastic yeah. that's great i love him so um much. yeah orlando bloom he like he was born to play an elf he is like he's so good in this role <laughs> like just his movements he just looks like an elf and he was actually cast in this role two days before he graduated from drama yeah. school let's see yeah so legolas gets up to finn's aragorn there's this like awkward eye contact moment of Boromir and Aragorn where <laughs> Boromir's like, I probably shouldn't have had that weird moment with you and the blade of Narsil, but oh well. Oh, and then what's really funny is that like right as I was wondering, as they're talking about the ring needs to be destroyed, blah, 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 it occurred to me, I was like, well, what would happen if you just like took an axe to it? And then literally, <laughs> like as I thought that, Gimli jumps up. He's like, well, then what are we waiting for? Charges at it hits it with an axe and is like blown back his axe is blown apart and that's your mo the moment where you're like first it's a what a way to introduce Gimli yeah that introduction for him and two you're like oh this ring is this is intense this isn't good I should note that Elrond says calm down Gimli son of Gloin and Catherine the pronunciation of Gimli's father's name was very debated as I was reading it, because a lot of people were like, it's not pronounced gloin as in groin. Are you kidding me? No, it's glowing because there's an accent over the I. Oh. And I always pronounce it as gloin. And there are, I had some guests who were like, yeah, it's gloin. And then other ones who were like, no, it's glowing. And you know what? The movie said gloin. We're all going with gloin. You know, and I subconsciously always think groin and like do a little giggle. So I'm like, I'll keep it gloin. I know. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, Elrond's like, okay, who's going to take it to Mordor? Dead oh. silence. <laughs> I will take it. I will take it. Oh, every- oh, and everyone like bursts up and starts arguing because I think Legolas maybe offers to take it or, or do something. And Gimli's like, I'll die before it's left in the hand of an elf. And then they start fighting. And Aragorn and Boromir have been fighting over this Gondor stuff that's going on in the background. And, and Frodo stands up. And says, I will take it. And at first, no one hears him because he's so little. (laughs) And then he says it again. And it's another moment of Ian McKellen being great. Because you see him, like, sigh and have this, like, overcoming wave of sadness of, like, I didn't, I don't want this for you. And you, like, what a brave little hobbit to stand up and say, I will take it. And everyone goes silent and they turn around and look at him and goes, I will take it, though I do not know the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's kind of like the equivalent of, um, although it's like nowhere near as poignant, but um, the I Volunteer's tribute 
sort of sort of thing that we see yeah. like mm-hmm. later with Katniss Everdeen um, in the Hunger Games. It's like that sort of like yeah, it's really reminiscent of that. Yeah, yeah. I think she even like mutters under she at first she says like. I volunteer kind of like under her breath. <laughs> the same thing kind of happens with Frodo where like he all of a sudden re- he has this realization in the moment where he's like, I will take it. And yeah, Katniss does the same thing where she's like, I volunteer. And then she realizes what she just did. And then she stands up and is like, I volunteer yeah. as tribute. And then Sam jumps up. He was listening in a bush <laughs> and is like, I'm going with him. And Elrond is like, well, I would imagine so, considering that you weren't invited to this meeting and you came anyway. And then Merry and Pippin pop their little heads out of columns and they're like, we're coming too. And this look on Elrond's face. As they come running over, he's like, oh, my God, the hobbits (laughs) are just so hobbity, (laughs) like too hobbity for their own good. And Pippin has this great line where he's like, you need people of intelligence on a mission quest thing <laughs> and Mary goes he's like well then why are you here Pip yeah he's like that rules you out <laughs> yeah yeah that's what he says yeah and then um there's this mo- and yeah Elrond <laughs> he's like you shall be the fellowship of the ring triumphant music and then Pippin's like all right so where are we going <laughs> yeah so cute it's so it's so good it's so good hello it's mary clay from the future here to say Catherine and i made a grave mistake when we were talking about this the section of the movie because we didn't even mention the you have my sword my bow and my axe and that just had to do with the fact that we were just so in love with the hobbits during this scene and we completely just forgot to talk about that moment but i just had to i had to insert myself here and say i realized it pretty much immediately as soon as we finished recording and so this is the official appreciation for that moment okay now now onward uh, before Frodo leaves, he has a little talk with Bilbo. Bilbo gives him some of his stuff from his adventure in The Hobbit. He gives him Sting, which conveniently glows blue when orcs are nearby, <laughs> and gives him uh, his old chain mail that is made of mithril, which is like dwarf silver that's in the mines of Moria deep, basically. And it's super strong material that will basically protect him. I'm sure that won't come in handy. <laughs> There's a moment where Bilbo sees the ring hanging around Frodo's neck and he like goes to reach for it and Frodo's like, no. And Bilbo goes demon mode for a second. It's very terrifying. Ooh, yeah. That- Question for you, since you were little when you saw that, did that like scare you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I still remember the moment like I would have the lights out, which now I don't anymore, I guess, when I watch stuff. So maybe that's <laughs> why it was I did that. Um and it was like generally like for for a twelve year old who I don't know how many scary movies I had seen prior to that, I would get a little like, oh, maybe I should pause it and go hang out with my mom a little <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really it's also like it's just very random because it's this is this movie isn't really they don't really go for the jump scares no but they really went for this one and, so yeah. it's just like it does seem out of place a little bit too with like the visual effect of it like it, it was kind of out of place and I think that's why also you're like oh is this kind of movie or what like yeah. what's going on? <laughs> and Bilbo has this like really sad moment where he breaks down and he's like I'm sorry that you that I had to do this to you oh. and it's like just 
it's just really sad. And for I think I don't even think Frodo responds to that. He's just kind of like, yeah. He's like, oh, shy. Me too. <laughs> All right, guys, it's happening again. More traveling, more walking, and beautiful scenery. Oh my god, um, so beautiful. And then. Thus begins, they use the same musical theme over and over anytime there's like a remotely triumphant moment for the fellowship. Great, but they literally use it anytime anything good happens. So it kind of like takes it away. I don't know. I guess I'd compare it to like in the Marvel movies when you hear that Avengers theme come in, like they use it sparingly on purpose so that when it comes in, it has lots of meaning behind it. And you're like, all right, this is awesome. (laughs) They really, they pick like three musical themes to use over and over again in the movies. Yeah, I, I'm too muddled of like nostalgia where I, um, when I was rewatching it for this, I was like, oh, that music. And I was so obsessed and I was in band, but we like played that theme and I was a clarinet for one of our concerts. And I was just like, I was so happy. And I think I probably, I don't know if I like annoyed them to death. We like, yes, we're doing Lord of the Rings. And so, so I like, I definitely like that theme and it's a good theme. Yeah, I get it, it was just one of those things that like, I all of a sudden realized I was like, wait a minute, they kind of use that a lot. And then it was as soon as I noticed that, you know, I couldn't unhear that. So there's this like really great scene that it's, we don't really get any of this in the books where they're just, the fellowship is just hanging out there. They've like stopped to rest. Boromir's teaching Merry and Pippin how to fight. Aragorn's sitting there like giving some tips. Gimli and... Gandalf are talking about which way to go. Gimli's like, let's go to Moria. My cousin lives there. And Legolas is being an elf. Sam and Frodo are eating, cooking food and eating. It's just like a great, it's just like a really nice moment of like, oh, they're like all, they're starting to be friends, this little fellowship group. And then the... The birds come in. Legolas is like his little, his little squid. Yeah, you can see his eyes. <laughs> he like looks. He like looks around, yeah. and you're like, "Oh, Legolas, what do you see? What do you see, dude?" <laughs> yeah, these uh, spies of Saruman come flying over. They all hide. Saruman finds out that they are traveling this way. Obviously. Also, speaking of Saruman, I want to mention. So, Sir Christopher Lee, the actor who played Saruman, he. Uh, Passed away, I think, in 2015. He, like, very religiously read Lord of the Rings and loved it and knew a lot about the lore and everything and had a lot of extensive knowledge about it. And he was also the only cast member to have met J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm. So I just think that's, like, really cool. And it's also, like, so unsuspecting for the character of Saruman that, like... The guy who played the nerd Saruman was the one who who had all this background knowledge. Like you, it would have been really cool if it was like, oh, Aragorn or Elrond or Gandalf were had that background. Um, but nope, it was Saruman, and he sends a blizzard their way. This is another great Legolas elf moment because they're all trudging through the snow. He's just like gliding. This is what happens in the books too. He like prances on top of the snow because he is, well, he doesn't prance in the book, but basically, I mean in the movie, but basically in the book, he is like so light on his feet. And I think he even like laughs at them at one point in the book. And it's like a really great moment and like a small detail for his character that they bring into the movies. So I like that, that like you can see him just like walking on top of the snow having no troubles at all and everyone else is just <laughs> trudging along which is another reason why i was like why would you give up your elfness and your immortality 
because I wanted exactly. I wanted to be like Legolas. So I was just like, oh, I know exactly. Eventually, they're like Gandalf. This is insane. We can't go this way. We have to do something else. They can't go through the gap of Rohan because that brings them too close to Isengard. And Gandalf says, "Let the ring bearer decide." Mm-hmm. And Frodo says, "We will. We'll go to the mines of Moria." Yes. That was a little shady of Gandalf, actually, because he knew he would choose that, but he didn't want to be the one. Yeah, so the reason Gandalf is so desperate to not go into the Mines of Moria is because through these like flashbacks, we see what Saruman and him were talking about and what Saruman has told him. And Gandalf, I think this is something that like is kind of left to be ambiguous in the books, but in the movies, Gandalf knows what is in Moria. He knows that there's this Balrog and there's this like ancient evil that the dwarves have awoken awaken yeah awoken (laughs) woke Woke. (laughs) they woke up this ancient evil and he knows that it's in moria and he does not want to go there and saruman is even like you know that it will bring about your end and gandalf doesn't want to go that way yeah he leaves it up to frodo and frodo's like we will go to moria and gandalf is like crap (laughs) so they get to moria there's the beautiful lit up elvish door there's a little riddle what's funny is that in the book when i was reading it i was was like oh is this gonna be some dumb riddle where the answer is friend and then it is because <laughs> it's speak friend and enter and I was like I immediately picked up on that I was like yes say friend and elvish or whatever <laughs> while they're waiting for Gandalf to solve this riddle Sam says goodbye to Bill the pony I bring this up because he's a very beloved character in the books <laughs> and maybe he has a more of an introduction in the ex- in an extended edition scene he's not really introduced and I think this is all I think this is all we see of Bill the pony because in the books they're reunited with him so we say goodbye to Bill the pony oh Bill we hardly knew ye Pippin is just throwing rocks into the river (laughs) a good old and Aragorn's like stop that (laughs) like children Oh, yes. big brother big brothers and children <laughs> exactly yeah and then finally Frodo is like hey do we think it's friend and Gandalf says the elvish word for friend they open Moria Gimli is stoked and then it's immediately sharp left turn because I find out all the dwarves inside are dead there were goblin attacks and right as they're like get out of here we need to leave the watcher in the lake which is basically like a kraken octopus type thing yeah reaches out and grabs frodo and there's this mad dash as like everyone's trying to get out of moria and then they're also trying to save frodo (laughs) this is again a moment where the special effects don't really hold up very well it kind of reminds me of the scene in uh prisoner of azkaban movie when harry and Hermione are being thrown around by the Whomping Willow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the... And it's like a little campy. Actually, let me rephrase this. It kind of feels to me like they meant for this to be a section where like you put on 3D glasses because there are a lot of moments where like the tentacles kind of come up towards the camera and Frodo's like tossed into the air. I mean, again, though, you know, it's not like they really could have done any better than this for the time. Yeah. Yeah, so they all they all save Frodo. They go running inside just as I, I think the I think what happens is like the watcher it like knocks it like hits the the mountain and it knocks down and they are enclosed into Moria and they're like, well, there's no turning back now. Oh, <laughs> and what's really interesting here is that the use of like sound editing for this is so notable because it goes like 
qu- it goes completely quiet and you really feel like you're enclosed in a cave and mm-hmm. it sounds like it and it's just like a really good use of atmosphere to make you feel like you're trapped in the darkness with them uh, so yeah also just want to give a quick shout out to Gimli because he's going through it during this this part of the movie because he is finding out that a lot of and finds out later too with Balin that all of his family and friends like a lot of people he knows are dead and it's like such a tragic way for him to find out and it's like really it's almost kind of like glossed over because yeah. so much is happening around him so John Rhys Davies is the actor who plays Gimli and this is what kind of just so like he's a, he's great in the role and I love it it's great however <laughs> he is six one. Yeah. So obviously they had to use a body double for him. And he is also, he was allergic to the makeup that they used for him. So every time he would go in and get the makeup done, they would have, he would have to take a day in between filming so that his face would like go back to normal. At that point, I'm like, okay, maybe this kind of goes into, I think we know, we know better now that maybe you should have gotten an actor of a different you know, differently abled body actor, you know, to give those actors a chance because there are actors with different abilities and disabilities that are trying to make it. And this would have been a great opportunity for a little person who is not um, Warwick Davis <laughs> to get a, a role in a fantasy genre. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's like a really interesting decision for them that like they really made it harder on themselves because he is six one and he's aside from The Hobbit supposed to be like the smallest person in the fellowship yeah that's a really great because i mean we obviously there's really great actors peter dinklage who i you know i bring up game of thrones a lot but it's sort of the same fantasy realm and he's one of my favorite actors because he's so good and like yeah it, it, it would have been different because i think he also like it would have to have been i don't know if he would have been the right age but i'm sure there's like tons of actors you know um that could have done those roles so that's yeah. actually interesting because i hadn't thought about that Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe, th- I don't know, maybe they're, maybe they did audition a bunch of different people and this is just the person they landed on as being right for the role. I, you know, I don't know what that process was, but I just think it's like really interesting that like not only was he six one, but he was allergic to the makeup. And I'm like, I feel like at that point I would have been like, hey, bud, we tried to make it work, but you got to tap out. You know, we have to keep the production schedule moving. We can't stop every time you have an allergic reaction. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, but that, yeah, that being said, John Reese davies is really, is really great in this role. And he like brings a lot of gusto to the role. So I do, I do appreciate him for that. As they're walking through Moria, Gandalf lights the way with his little flashlight staff. They get to a point where <laughs> I think this is another meme. Oh my gosh. You know what I totally glossed over? One does not simply. Oh, <gasps> yeah. The meme. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I forgot to bring that up. Yeah, one does not simply. Because he has two. He has the, is the gift. And then it was like. Is a gift. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, <laughs> one does not simply walk into Mordor. That was like, in like, I, I guess like the golden era of like early age internet memes where like, oh. Icon has cheeseburger and, you know, all these other, the, of that era and age. And it's just so funny to like, look back on like how far memes have come and oh. <laughs> and one does not simply walk into Mordor. 
just we gotta you know have to recognize that yeah give homage Ganoff walks up and says uh i have no memory of this place i think is is a line a uh, uh, like screen capture that i've seen shared in a couple different situations or contexts and they have to stop while Gandalf can like meditate a bit, I guess, and try and remember where they are. Frodo goes over to him and is like, hey, someone's following us. And Gandalf is like, oh, yeah, it's Gollum. <laughs> what? Why are you just casually mentioning that? And I think in the book, Frodo like doesn't bring this up until like several chapters after Moria. There are just like little hints that like there's... Some sa- some kind of sound that they can hear, like wet feet on the stone echoing in Moria. And he can he feels like there's someone behind him. But every time he turns around, there's just like the movement of a figure or he sees eyes in the dark. But Gandalf is straight. Oh, yeah, it's Gollum. He's been following us for a couple days now. He's like very casual about it, which is so weird because Gollum is like one of the most dangerous people to or I actually I wouldn't say that. But like we don't want him to get the ring, obviously. So I feel like Gandalf would have had a little more urgency about that situation but he doesn't seem that worried by it and they go into this really great conversation I love it so much I think when this happens in the book it's uh it's like the second chapter that is just basically all exposition and it's just all Gandalf and Frodo talking about the ring so Gandalf is saying yeah I think Gollum has some part to play in all of this and you know we don't know what that will be time may tell and Frodo says I wish Bilbo had killed Gollum Gandalf is like no that was he pitied him and that was a very like actually like courageous thing to do because pity Bilbo's pity may have saved us all spoiler alert it does (laughs) and also at the end of the day Frodo's pity for Gollum also saves them because spoiler alert Gollum is the one who destroys the ring ultimately <laughs> yeah oh. but I think that was a that was, that was a really good you're right that was a really nice moment to also just remind people and and in general like the theme of getting rid of someone it seems to be like the way to get rid of your problem but if you actually walk away and and, and just like kind of let that be that's actually the more heroic thing and so I think that is also just kind of like a nice little reminder to like that Gandalf is telling him like you don't just take out people just because you think where you should <laughs> yeah I think um he also says something along the lines of there are a lot of people actually I can't I don't even like I don't it's all coming it's all mixing together <laughs> I don't know if he said this in this scene or if he says it later but he does say at one point he's like there are a lot of people who deserve to live that mm-hmm. die and mm-hmm. there are lots of people that deserve death and live to see the end of their like days, long yeah. olden days yeah and that's not fair it goes goes into this other part where Frodo's like I wish this hadn't happened to me I wish the ring had never come to me Gandalf says he says so do all who live to see such <laughs> times all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us <sighs> there are other forces at work in this world besides the will of evil so and true it's, yeah and it's it's just like so poignant for me at this point in you know 2020 of like I wish this like absolutely terrible thing had never happened to me I wish I I just like wish with all my heart that coronavirus was not a thing and it's like yeah we all wish that 
But the unfortunate reality is that it is a reality. What matters now is just what we're doing with our days in the meantime and, and making making the most of our lives while we can rather than sitting around and, and moping about it. Yeah. I mean, that being said, still wear a mask, social distance, wash everything, all that stuff. But like, you know, it's just, you know, it's just a rough situation to be in. And it's hard to it's hard in those situations when like all you can say is like, I know and I'm sorry. Yeah, but you got to move on. Yeah, that's so I true. I think that's such a it's so crazy that we're able to relate to that. And then all of a sudden Gandalf is like, oh, it's this way. <laughs> Mary or Pippa, someone is like, oh, you remember? And he goes, no, it. I don't remember, but it doesn't smell as bad this way. So I think this is the path to outside. And then he goes, when in doubt, Mary a duck, follow your nose or something like that, which um is like a really funny one liner. And I feel like maybe it does come in handy later, but that would have been like really funny later on. I can't, rem- I just can't remember off the top of my head if that does, if there is a moment, you know, later on where Mary is like, follow your nose, Pippin. <laughs> and then it like leads them to safety. But like, like, yeah. that would have been, like, a cute callback for them to do. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, and then they make it out into the, I guess, courtyards or whatever of, I don't remember what it's called, the the dwarf city. And that is where we are going to leave this episode. Oh, because <laughs> it's a hefty, it's a hefty movie. So much happens, man. Let's see, real quick, I want to read off some of those tweets that I had during that first time of watching Fellowship of the Ring four years ago. When Arwen comes in, I said, oh, and here's a female character who I bet anything is here only to help the male lead and serve as a love interest to others. I wasn't off with that. Um, And then I said, he's here, the child of Lucius Malfoy and Will Turner. (laughs) I took a a picture of Boromir, of course, doing the one does not simply. And I said, Lord of the Rings, where memes come true. (laughs) Also, each week, Catherine and I share a fact. This segment is called, is Viggo Mortensen actually a ranger? Viggo Mortensen chipped a tooth while filming a fight sequence. He wanted Peter Jackson to super glue it back on so he could finish the scene. But Jackson took him to the dentist on his lunch break had it patched up and returned to the set that afternoon. That's just the stamina of Viggo Mortensen that he's like, nah, just glue it back on. We can keep going. (laughs) Oh my God. So good. And that concludes this week's segment of Is Viggo Mortensen Actually a Ranger? (laughs) I don't know. Time will tell. Holy cow. Okay. So Catherine... Thank you for coming on to discuss this part of the movie. Uh, what would you like to share with our audience? So I run, um, I'm the editor-in-chief and founder at Shuffle Online, and I write, and I have contributors who also, you know, write. We do film reviews, music, lots of nostalgia, as you can tell. <laughs> um, I throw that in there, too. Just like a shuffle of things. Uh, that's why it's called Shuffle Online. Through that, I think about four years ago, I went to, um, I think I attended South by South by Southwest, which just takes place in Austin. It's a big mm-hmm. festival. Um, I was able to interview Dominic Monaghan, um, which, yeah, so what he was, he was doing like an indie movie. I can't remember which one, um, because I was, I was excited for two reasons, obviously Lord of the Rings. And also because I was big, like I said, Lost is also very pivotal in my like film TV sort of Uh, world. Real quick listeners, Dominic Monaghan plays Mary. Yes. In Lord of the Rings. So yeah. I was like, I don't even know what I asked. I was just like, I am interviewing Mary, for, you know, and I am interviewing uh, Charlie from Lost. It was like the best moment of my life. 
Oh, that's right. He is in law. I totally forgot about that. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. No, oh no, no, God, no. So good. Anyway, and then also through Shuffle, I was I went to like I forgot what Comic Con it was, and Pip was there. He was like in his little booth or whatever. And Billy Boyd, if you're there as press, you can ask them like, "Oh, can I take a photo?" But sometimes they're a little weird, and they're like, "Oh no, no official, no photos of the booth." It can be hit or miss. But I was like, you know what? This is my opportunity. I was like, this is 13 year old Catherine like going and like I'm gonna go and be awkward. Um, and so I went up to him and I was like, hi, like, and I, you know, I do like the high voice when I get nervous and I was just like, oh my God, like, I love you. So I don't even know what I said. I was like, can I take a photo with you? And then, and then so, or of you. Cause like, I, I don't know what I did. I'll have to find the photo and share it with you. But, um, like I got to take a photo uh, of him or with him. I can't remember. And that was like, also one of like the greatest moments of my life. So anyway, oh my so, gosh. yeah, so, uh, I'll try to dig them up for you, but yeah, I, through my website, Shuffle Online, I've been able to kind of have these moments where I've, I've met these actors who, yeah, they're just actors or whatever, but they, it, it just like in these roles that were so pivotal and like me doing what I do now. And so it, it means so much more to, you know, I, I understand like when you geek out on that because it's not about their role or whatever. It's just like what they meant to you and like what their little bit kind of added to the movie that you love so much. So um, yeah, if you want more of that, go follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at shuffle online. And then you can find all our stories and, and things on shuffleonline.net. That's so awesome. Listeners as we're recording, this will be like listeners will know how much I've cut down. We've been recording for, you know, over two hours now. I can't believe you've just been sitting on that, that you met <laughs> Mary and Pippin. Yeah, That's I was going to, so I was going awesome. to, I was going to insert it somewhere else, but I was like, oh, it's not the right time. And then I was like, I'll just share that later. <laughs> Oh, that's so fun. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. That's What I'm Talking About is a proud member of WBNE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBNE.org, where you will find all of our other shows like Late to the Party, our Dungeons and Dragons podcast. In a world not unlike our own. It is a balmy 80 degrees in Miami, Florida. I'm chaotic neutral tiefling monk. I don't recall there being tieflings in Miami. Now you know that hammer toss isn't an actual hammer, right? It is in this universe. Okay. No, it's a, it's a big old it's a big old hammer. It's a big old sledgehammer. <laughs> Where magic and monsters run rampant. Kind of looks like a bug monster. Oh, Jordan has showed us a diagram of, uh, I think, Red Eye's Black Dragon from yeah. the Yu-Gi-Oh! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, well, I speak Infernal, so I'm gonna ask it what the heck it is. A real estate agent. Lily Davis, who sells real estate by day. A football coach. I love you. Don't touch my flowers. A failed actor. I am a former Broadway star. And a teenager. Sunny days, a student in college, crazy, right? Must save the world. And you're waving your clipboard back and forth, and... Do I feel my clipboard connect with something? Yes. Coming March 23rd to WBNE, late to the party. The cover is by Graphite, a.k.a. Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod. And you can also join our Facebook group. You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. And you can support the podcast by becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and financial levels, whatever is right for your situation. 
And you put, you can become a sponsor of the podcast like Mayor. Mayor, thank you so much for your continued support. You've been a sponsor now for, for a while, so I really appreciate all of your support, um, especially during this exciting time when I'm now covering the movies. It's very awesome. Also, rate and review, please. Uh, when you rate and review the podcast, it helps other people find it. And I would like for there to be more listeners, I think, to say. Rinda Rue 5, Rinda Rue 5, sorry, said, uh, I went looking for a chapter by chapter Lord of the Rings podcast and was delighted to found That's What I'm Talking About. The pun alone drew me in. I love that Mary Clay is also reading the books for the first time while discussing them in a more casual and digestible way. I listened to this while I work oh my god I can't believe you do that I'm sorry for you (laughs) that you have to listen to my voice while you work her outlandish predictions make me crack up and I love how much she dislikes Sam even though I don't oh yeah Catherine context when I was reading the books I did not like Sam um he was just very annoying he's a lot less annoying in the movies Love that it is a Lord of the Rings podcast hosted by a woman and that MC isn't afraid to call out the misinterpretation of women in this series while still keeping it fun. Keep talking it up, girl. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'll talk about, yeah, call, yeah talk about uh, calling out the, the women in this series. <laughs> we did a lot of that yep. on this episode. What up? It's Mary Clay from the future here one last time this episode to say that next week we will be picking up right where we left off this week. It'll be about one hour and 52 minutes in the theatrical edition, and we will go right to the end of Fellowship of the Ring. So that'll be a fun time. And um, yeah, back to the past. Okay, so that yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode. Catherine, thank you for joining me once again. Do you have any parting words for the audience? If you're a first time viewer, I hope you enjoy as much as I did. I wish I could get back my first watch (laughs) of Lord of the Rings because it just meant so much to me. And that's what I'm talking about. 